Welcome. You are listening to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. We take on topics involving marriage, ministry, parenting, communication, relationships, and other subjects that our listeners want to hear more about. Welcome to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. I am your host for today, Callie Picardo, and today I have with me Berlin Fosner. Berlin is a pastor of a very unique church. It's a church he's been with since 1999 in Seattle, Washington, and they call themselves community dinners because they gather around a variety of dinner tables. And he even leads the Dinner Church Collective for Fresh Expressions USA, teaching others how to do church kind of in a non-traditional way. And if I'm honest, Roland, that makes me kind of hungry and ready for a good meal and some good conversation. (laughs) So looking forward to having you today on the Better Together podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you, Kelly. I'm looking forward to being with you. And Verlin, you've got a new book coming out in 2024 called 468 Jesus Stories. Where'd this book come from? What's it about? Mm -hmm. Well, I do think the title will be a little uh, bounced around, uh, but at least so that you can uh, hear what is taking place. That's, uh, shall we say, the working title at present. Um, The origins of this actually flow from the uh, the Jesus tables that we have found ourselves engaged in. And uh, years ago, our church was a hundred year old church and it had always done really well. And uh, but about 2006, 2007, we really hit a strange downturn where we just started to crash for no reason. We couldn't really uh, put our finger uh, as to why. But the uh, attrition rate got up to 14% per year. And uh, so we were crashing hard and we realized we're going to have to do something pretty dramatic. Same kind of thing was happening with a lot of other churches in the city. So we knew it was something wider than just us. But um, so we really, throughout a, a course of prayer, came to the understanding that uh, that if we were going to stay in the city with such high secular worldview populace that Seattle has to offer, we were we were going to need to make some pretty significant changes. And one of them was just the fact to face the fact that we had a sociological problem. Our teaching based environment that has been practiced the last five hundred years that we loved. Uh, well, secular peoples historically and statistically don't love it as much. <laughs> so, they don't want someone to just talk at them all the time. Yeah, that's right. One-way communication. They're not fans. And then, you know, uh, major Bible teaching coming at them. Of course, we absolutely loved it. So we we it was a blind spot for us. But in the course of just seeking the Lord and our entire leadership team saying, Lord, how can we stay? How can we get effective at reaching secular uh, peoples for you? Um, we really felt that we were to engage in the historic dinner church. Um, and uh, and recognized that it was not an innovation. It was a recovery project. 
of a social form or a sociology of church that was actually very, very old. It's been so old, we've forgotten it for a long time. Uh, it only lasted till about the seventh century. And uh, from then on, it just kind of fell off our radar. So, so we worked really hard to go back and recover that and found that uh, Seattle was immediately willing to meet that way. And our dinner churches, when we started to engage in the different community centers throughout the city, they filled up really fast and people were thronging in and uh, and were really uh, appreciative of what was taking place in the room and saying things like, man, I never thought I would ever want to be a part of a church, but I guess I now am one. You know, I'm in one. And never thought I'd have a pastor. I never liked pastors, but I guess I got one, you know, stuff like that. Uh, it's just a, a really interesting level of success, but, um, and just influence that had been long lost, uh, regained now. Um, but in the in that process of the theological discipline of recovering something very old, we recognized, well, we need to recover their their form of preaching, too. We need to recover their form of spiritual content and delivery. Um, and so as we began to look deeper and deeper into it, we I mean, we we really faced the fact that the apostles, they were all about the Jesus stories. That was what they had. Uh, the Bible, as we know it, it would be 300 years before that was compiled by Anathesias. So, uh, you know, having a big, thick book to, you know, download in teaching form, even though teaching as we know it wasn't wasn't famous back in those days, um, but uh, like what it is with ours. Um, but nonetheless, uh, they didn't have that. What they had were these electrifying stories from the life of Christ, all kinds of them. Um, and so one of the first things I did was to really research throughout the New Testament all of the usages of the uh, the word teach and preach and testify and um, announce anything that would have any proclamational um, instructive to it um, and and really see, well, what was it they were preaching? What was it they were teaching? What was it, what was it that they were actually announcing and proclaiming? And um, it, it, the, all those words were used uh, 104 times in the New wow. Testament. 94 of them declare right in the verse that their subject is something from the life and times of Jesus. And it's right in the text. And the other uh, 10, some of them really had nothing to do, like, for instance, and Moses announced to, you know, it was a, it was a history soundbite, had nothing to do yeah. with what was happening in the day. And there's several of them that are in that category, but just a, a very profound, you know, thickness uh, that they were very Jesus stories focused. And Paul was said, hey, man, you know, why don't why don't you uh, come at us like these rhetoricians of the day come? We, you're smart. You've got all these parchments. And no, no, no. When I preach, I just preach Christ and Christ yeah. crucified. And, you know, and, and he by himself uh, nine different times made it very clear that I, I just preach Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. If I'm preaching, I'm preaching that. Jesus. So there's so, four, 468 Jesus stories in the Gospels and yeah. How, how do you how do you use the Jesus stories? I mean, a lot of us know them, the different stories of mm -hmm. Jesus' interaction, his parables, mm -hmm. the the teachings that he had. I mean, how do you then take it and share that with somebody? Because, you know, especially you reach a lot of folks that didn't think they'd ever be in a church before, but yet they are right. interested in these Jesus stories. Yeah. 
Yeah, very much so. It really begins by by repositioning in an effect. I know this sounds a little odd, but repositioning our faith on top of the Jesus stories. Uh, we have probably built a lot of our faith on scripture and verse from Genesis to Revelation, and that is not a bad thing by any means. But when we're with a secular person, we open up our mouth, what comes out are all of these Bible studies, and it's a language that isn't understood by them quite the same as uh, as the Jesus narratives tend to be. So to go back and really begin to read the Jesus stories for our own faith, read it until something just blows up inside of us and changes us, and we go and to where we have a lot of those Jesus stories uh, down in our own soul. We are, are we're doing our own spiritual formation on top of Jesus stories. Just let that begin to happen. Then we find that we are actually instant in season and out because whenever we're sitting next to someone at a table or we're engaging with a secular person, the Holy Spirit now has something to say, hey, tell them that, that last one that burned up your heart. Tell them the last one that really got at you, you know? And so we come out with this, just this thing, this story, and and explain what it is, what it, what a, how our life changed as a result of that story. And then we're done. And uh, there, that is that is very apostolic era esque in how the Christians functioned, and of course, in our day, we are profoundly underpracticed at that. Carolyn, do you have a favorite Jesus story? Oh man, I I kind of have. A, what's my favorite one lately? <laughs> yeah, tell us your favorite lately. What's your favorite lately? Oh yeah, I I continue to read through the Jesus story, and and let me just get. I, I just want to say this. I love the whole Bible. Yeah. The whole Bible is inspired. It's useful. It's helpful. It's not all equal when you're dealing with secular people, uh, but it's all it's all wonderful and I love it all. But the Jesus stories, um, I've just made a commitment to uh really re-stir my own mm. faith. Uh, with those Jesus stories. So uh, I spent a lot of time just reading them for myself until something just blows up. But I, I am, I find myself just so constantly blown away by the whole Jesus coming to the leper. And, uh, and before he heals him, he reaches out and hugs him. <laughs> I'm just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. All of medical science would say, don't touch the guy yeah. <laughs> healing from afar, you know. <laughs> but his need for healing of worth and identity was so great that Jesus knew he needed that touch. And so he reached out uh, and touched him so as to heal his sense of worth and value. And then he went ahead and healed his entire body. And we, we just have so many people in our own nation that are so inwardly busted and shattered and broken for a thousand reasons that the Christian touch, that sense of, oh man, let's sit down and eat together. Let's talk. Let's, you know, let's engage in the human activity of uh, of turning a stranger into a dear friend. And somewhere in the middle of all of that, healing starts to happen inside of a person. And the voice of Jesus begins to speak. And oftentimes we feel triggered along the way by the Holy Spirit. Hey, pray for healing for their body. Just do it right now. No one cares. They're all eating. They're all talking about sports or whatever on the other side of the table. You just go ahead and just breathe healing into them. 
And uh, and so the healing stories physically uh, have been just crazy. Um, but the um, but the uh, internal healing, we just watch that happen constantly by virtue of this touch. And so, yeah, I that that's sort of my uh, the one that has stirred me a lot lately. So how might you use it? How might you use it to share faith with someone or help, mm. a, you know, how, how, how would that one come into play as you're practicing it out? Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of this goes back to the table. I mean, the Jesus stories were really thick, thickly practiced around the Jesus tables or the new, the new Passover tables, if you will. Um, and so that environment of eating together, um, is what naturally begins to uh, bring up these Jesus stories. If I'm sitting next to someone that is just thinking about faith, or maybe they're not even thinking at all about it, but they're becoming a friend, um, then my conversation with them, whenever it turns spiritual, well, that's an, that's an evangelistic kind of conversation point. Yeah. And so the Jesus story that's coming out in that moment is going to be coming out as uh, as an evangelistic goal, if you will, by the Spirit, not by me. But, but I mean, I'm just kind of following the flow here quite simply. My little five loaves and two fish, but there's 5,000 things going on inside of this person pouring from heaven, you know, and I'm cooperating with it simply. But um, uh, if, if, they, if they know Christ and they're walking with Christ, my conversation with them is of a discipleship nature. It's Jesus stories again. But it it takes on more of a man. Christ did this. What about you and me? Are, we, are you and I, you know, going to engage in that that behavioral Christ likeness, not just yeah. the studied scripture and verse? Um, and uh, so those those uh, those Christ the uh, the way they come out. Of course, we're right at the table eating meat and potatoes, you know, right along while both conversations are happening. But once. Uh, evangelistic in nature, and the next one's discipleship in nature. Um, and then there is the opportunity in the preaching uh, where there is some sort of, maybe it's just three or four people at a table all listening together, and you are beginning to lay out a Jesus story and how it has changed your life so profoundly. I mean, that's what preaching is. I mean, the, so, you, so you don't the, have to be a pastor to to preach? <laughs> yeah, we here in this uh, modernist era have been very famous for uh, creating this big professional class of spiritual communicators, and everyone else feels like their job is to listen. But that was not that was not uh, first century uh, or apostolic era definitions of Christianity at all. Everyone knew that they were a part of the preaching they were a part of the, sh- the of the sharing because they all understood that the Jesus stories is what uh is what they were doing and they're very simple in nature so anybody can do it um i've oftentimes had people say wow wouldn't it be great to be back and hear uh the uh, hear one of the apostles preach back in the day i bet you would just be awesome and uh truth be told i think we'd be underwhelmed <laughs> because their preaching was so simple and yeah. it was so Jesus stories oriented and the book of Mark, for instance, uh, is one of the best examples of, of apostolic preaching 
because young Marky was sitting there, you know, he was a young 16-year-old kid. He wasn't an eyewitness to the life of Christ, but he was uh, literate. His mom had afforded for him to go and learn how to, you know, uh, read and write and all that. So Pastor Peter would come to arguably the first church in Jerusalem, which was John Mark's mother's house, this upstairs area, and 35, 40 people would gather, and Pastor Peter would preach. And young Mark would sit there and take and scroll it all down. That's why some of the stories aren't in order, because it's a 16-year-old kid taking notes on Pastor Pastor Peter over how long of a period. You know, the yeah. other two are more historic in nature, but not the book of Mark. Because, But it's a great example of the simplicity of the yeah. spiritual content of the day. And that's something that anybody, can, anyone can read a Jesus story until it fires up their soul and then prodded by the Holy Spirit, just lay it out there and then explain, this is what changed to me. This is what this story did to me. Yeah. And uh, and I got another story, but this is what this one did to me, you know? Um, and anybody can get excited about that. And once, once that is uh, released in us, boy, the lion is running. And we are ready to be evangelists. We're ready to be disciples. We're ready to be preachers. The whole lot of us. I love that you're starting with it. We're reading it for ourselves first. We're not reading it with an agenda other than we just want to fall more in love with Jesus. And then when yep. we're excited about it, we're more likely to share it. If we're not excited about it, why would we share it? But if we're really excited about it, yeah. it's touched our own lives. We're more likely to share it. There's an Oxford professor that commented on the excitedness of the Jesus stories as they were wow. being shared back in the day. Did some of this research on that. Uh, and he said, this was, this is kind of tech, technical here, but he goes, these were not dull monochromes. They were fiery and they were adventuresome because the life of Jesus had stirred all of them so profoundly. Uh, oh. It came out with great energy. Um, and so that was what, and it's from that stuff right there that we actually get the word preach from. Preach actually means, or it moves into the kerygma, but it means the stories of Jesus and the stories Jesus told. That's that. what preach actually comes from. And uh, it's the, the activity of preaching is connected to a particular kind of spiritual content. And it's something that we can all do. We've got a story worth telling. Now, Verlin, mm. I love you get some into as well how these Jesus stories impact leadership. I mean, mm -hmm. how does it and how does it impact leadership and the way someone might lead in their home, lead in the church, lead in even maybe a secular world, but they're a follower of Jesus, and so they want to lead mm. a little differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well. Um, we actually learned this uh, in the fire, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Our church was struggling uh, so desperately. And uh, so we shut down all of our programs. We still kept two of our morning gatherings. But um, so we were still fairly good size, but we were crashing quite badly. We could tell that we're going to be going out of business here in a few years if we didn't do something different. Um, and um so it was in that room of all of our leaders that I asked them to come on Tuesday nights. We're going to pray. We're going to say, Lord, help us. Help us know how to stay yeah. uh, in this city rather than move out to the suburbs. And so um, uh, it was there that some of these parables were just, uh, they they bubbled up from the group. Um, uh, I, I can't even hardly explain how they came about. 
but those parables became so so um uh, uh scapel like surgical and we went through soul surgeries as a result of several of these parables and uh one of them was the was the three stories of the the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son and so the lost sheep of course we realized wow you know heaven is a lot more interested in in the, that one that's lost and in pain than those of us that are huddled in the middle of the field you know um and uh and then that lost coin i mean that was i mean this if this widow didn't find the coin that night she's not going to eat and if that happens enough, she's not going to stay alive. Her survival depended on finding the lost. And we faced ourselves, are, are we thinking that our church's survival is because we are finding the lost? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we were accommodating of the lost, but we weren't desperate for the lost. Yeah. And that was a real soul confrontation. And uh, by the time we got to the end of it, we just realized that the God family uh, was in the rescue business, but we were in the church business. Uh-huh. And so the night that we really changed is when we took a hold of hands and just said, Lord, you, yeah, we we get it. We're in the church business. Uh, the Godhead is in a different business than we've been in, and we want back in the family biz. And uh-huh. that was it. Just like that, we, we our hearts and souls just moved. And from then on, we were on a different path. But that's how the power of the of the Jesus stories really started to hit us. Well, we had seven or eight more very spiritual encounters like that, all from different simple parables and Jesus stories. And finally, it began to dawn on us, man, would Jesus come to the earth to open up this great new movement and then not leave enough material behind for his leaders to know what to do all the way through time? You know, no, of course he wouldn't. And so... Uh, so we just started to expect that within the Jesus narratives somewhere is probably something really important for us right now to meditate upon. And so our leadership team now, we just find ourselves, uh, well, is, is there something in the Jesus stories mm-hmm. that like speaks to the spot that we're in? I mean, right now, I mean, just to be honest, I we've got uh, I called a special board meeting last night. And we got another one followed up here in a week because we're facing a particular issue mm-hmm. and immediately we're thinking about what 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 are the what are the stories that Jesus might have left behind that actually pertains to this moment that allows uh allows a, a fresh insight come to us because it would be silly for us not to have something just come alive when it's happened so many times since we've started doing this 16 years ago and uh so so yeah, uh, I I am I am uh, I am pretty uh, uh, excited about what the Jesus stories will actually do in the uh, boardrooms, in the staff rooms, in the uh, denominational leaders rooms. If we start thinking about that material as leadership material as well, love that. I'm hearing that, reading it for your own, growing in it personally, which builds that excitement which then leads to this, um, I mean, just a spirit of expectation, like, God, what you might want to speak to us through these Jesus stories. It's got me, I want to, I want to get off this podcast so I can go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read these <laughs> Jesus stories again, afresh on you today. This has been good, awesome. Good, good. Thank you for sharing with us today. I know Absolutely. people are going to want to learn more and the book's not out yet. And we're still 
titles fine tuning, but I mean, if people Mm want to learn more, if they want to be in the loop when the book comes out in 2024, how how do they connect? How do they stay engaged? Oh man. Well, um, I think what you just said is the is the actual uh, original movement of the spirit once we become exposed to this age-old way of thinking about um, the spiritual content of Christianity. And that is, I'm just going to start diving into the Gospels. I mean, that is literally the best thing to do. Um, and uh, in, in these, it's going to change my own uh, leadership for my own family, my, myself, my self leadership. I mean, mm. uh, I mean, the, uh, Leonard Sweet talks about how, uh, how a story, um, you know, when you're, when you're doing a teaching point, you can make kind of like one point and you try to get everybody grinded in to hear that one point. But when you're doing Jesus stories, there's like, you know, 10,000 different points being made to a listener in just the context of one story, which I don't know why he came to that number 10,000. He's talking about all the different possible ways that a person has mental entry and the spirit of God has a chance to really begin to apply it in so many different Mm -hmm. fashions. Um, And, uh, but just the way the brain is desired, uh, I mean, designed, we stories do something in us that teaching points don't. One is very unlimited the other one is quite limited. And um, so to that degree, it's exciting to be winning back some of that unlimited kind of spiritual content. I love it. Well, friends, I hope this has been encouragement to you today. You've been hearing from Berlin Fosner about the power of these Jesus stories. So I encourage you, if it's been a blessing to you, please share it with someone else that you think might need to hear it. And in the meantime, hop into God's word, read some of these Jesus stories for yourself. And remember, we are better together. God bless. Mm -hmm.